But uh, if you have your Bibles this morning, we're continuing our study in 1 Thessalonians. And uh, we're slowly making our way through this book. At times we've taken off big chunks, and at other times not so much. Well, today we have another small nibble on uh, this text. And um, uh, last week, or actually two weeks ago, you'll recall that we were in uh, this passage and we were looking at uh, the previous verse uh, in verse 16 where we talked about rejoice always. And uh, we spent time focusing on the importance of us rejoicing regardless of our circumstances. And today we're going to talk about praying without ceasing. And that's it. We're looking at one verse. You say, wow, this will be a short sermon. No, it won't. In fact, this may be a three-part series. You say, well, what in the world, Pastor? How in the world can you get a three-part series out of a phrase like pray without ceasing? Well, to understand pray without ceasing, we need to go through other passages of Scripture that speak to us about prayer. So our focus is going to be upon prayer. Now, those who have been in my men's group on uh, Sunday mornings for Sunday school, uh, we've spent a couple of chapters in our book by Jim George on um, the impact, uh, having an impact, uh, the 10 keys to impacting people for the cause of Christ and uh, becoming a man of God. And we spent two chapters on prayer. And so we're going to continue, for those men, studying this, uh, this doctrine, uh, prayer. So uh, with that said... If you would, look back in the text. I want to give some of you some preliminary, because I know we've, we've been away from this for at least a week. By the way, last week, praise the Lord, wasn't that a good service? I mean, God was here encouraging. I, I just, you know, there's some services where you just really sense the presence of the Lord kind of more powerfully than others, I guess, if we can use such terminology. But I, I really appreciated last week. And I was telling uh, Brother Mike Abbott, you know, we'll see. We'll see if it took. You know what I mean when I say that? Let's see if it took. It's easy sometimes to come in on Sunday morning and hear a message, and then we'll go out the doors and, wow, you know, that was good. That, that really blessed my soul. And then we get to the dinner table, and, and we've forgotten all about it. And then we go through the rest of the week, and we kind of get back to things as normal. You know what, church? I don't want things as normal. I'm tired of things as normal. And I hope you are, too. Uh, I want a soul-stirring awakening. Uh, I want a personal revival. Uh, I want to I be uh, front and center in, the, in, in God's will. And I think that's what God wants from all of us. Amen? I mean, that's what we should long for. And I really believe that if you're here and you know Christ as your Lord and Savior, somewhere hidden away in your heart, there is that desire. And so I want to encourage you this morning as we look in God's Word, that we would allow the Word of God to have free course, that we would allow the Holy Spirit of God to have His will and have His way in our life. One of the things um, in regards to this passage, just again giving you some background, we've really been focusing here recently on three things. Uh, we've, we've looked at where Paul is addressing these Thessalonican believers as to their responsibility in responding to the shepherd. Their pastors. And, and he started that off and he was telling the, the, the believers there in Thessalonica, look, you have a responsibility to those who, who have oversight, those who watch out for you. 
And he, he dealt with them in, in their responsibility in that. And also, that went to the pastors and their responsibility in caring for the flock. And, uh, and this is part of the reason Paul's writing. This is part of the reason Paul sent Timothy, again, to encourage and edify these believers. Then we also looked at uh, sheep to sheep and the responsibility you have one to another. And we all have responsibilities. Am I my, am I my brother's keeper? Boy, say that fast five times. Am I my brother's keeper? Yes, you are. If you are a born-again believer and you have a brother or sister in the Lord, you have a responsibility to them. And sometimes that responsibility is carried out a little easier than at other times. Sometimes you're called to come alongside and encourage. And then sometimes, as we looked at in this scripture in Thessalonians, sometimes we're to warn. Sometimes we're to rebuke. Sometimes we're to correct. Nobody likes that aspect of it, but you know what? We all have that responsibility. It's not just a pastor to uh, a shepherd to the sheep. It's also sheep to sheep. And so we looked at those things. And now, here in the past couple of weeks, we've been looking at the sheep's responsibility. That's all of us as believers. Our responsibility to the ultimate shepherd, the chief shepherd. And so we want to continue that today. Look at this phrase. Paul follows up rejoice always with verse 17. Pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. Now, don't be confused by this. This doesn't mean that I'm just a continual chatterbox to the Lord. That I gotta just keep talking to the Lord, and I gotta keep talking, and I just gotta keep praying, and I gotta keep talking to the Lord, and I gotta keep praying to, and I gotta keep talking to the Lord, and I gotta keep praying. In fact, what we're gonna look at this morning is exactly what does this phrase mean. And we're gonna look at other examples in Scripture where the Lord Himself explained this phrase. And so Paul is taking this inspiration from the teaching of His Lord and Savior Christ. Today's message is entitled, Keep Praying. Keep praying. There's a, a story that's told by David Jeremiah in his book, Signs of Life. He tells this story, and it's about a man named John McVeigh. John McVeigh was a reporter for the National Broadcasting Company during World War II. And his broadcast from the battlefront kept Americans riveted to the radios. One day in November 1942, while he was in North Africa, he was told to prepare the Army Hour broadcast from Algiers for the following Sunday. It was a tremendous undertaking. McVeigh had to interview leaders, obtain messages from chief commanders, write scripts, and then have them approved by war censors. Then there was the music. McVeigh found some American GIs who could play jazz, and he started them practicing. Finally, the night of the broadcast came, and a cast of 50 assembled in a makeshift studio, all of them excited about be, uh, beaming a wartime broadcast to the people of America. And precisely at 8.30 p.m., the orchestra began playing. McVeigh leaned into the microphone and said in his most sober voice, this is Algiers, the heart of North Africa. 
during interviews with McVeigh, soldiers and pilots for the RAF and the U.S. Air Force told their dramatic stories. The show ended with the band playing America's national anthem. It was a great program. And afterward, all the participants were ecstatic. They had just given a riveting account from the war front, and it had been heard live by 40 million people back home. Several days later, however, McVeigh received a telegram asking what had happened to the expected broadcast. Nobody had heard it. Apparently, it had gone out on the wrong frequency and was never picked up by engineers in New York. Nobody at home heard so much as a single word. McVeigh's program had disappeared into thin air. Let me ask you a question, church. Can the same thing happen to us when it comes to our prayer life? Do you ever feel like that sometime? you ever feel like you're praying and your prayer's not even hitting the ceiling? you ever feel like sometimes you're praying and, you know, does God even care? Am I sending this out on the wrong frequency? Well, I want to start this morning by looking at one of the things that maybe is preventing our prayer from being on the right frequency. Because my guess is, some of us in this room, we probably aren't uh, sending out our prayers on the right frequency. And there are certain things that God tells us in His Word that if you're not on the right page, if you're not on the right frequency, you can rest assured that your prayers are not being heard. And then I want to encourage you with getting in tune with God so that your prayers are on the right frequency. But let me start. Turn in your Bibles, if you would, over. Hold your spot, First Thessalonians. But I want you to go over to, to James chapter 4. James chapter 4. Now, we know the Old Testament teaches us that if you guard iniquity in your heart, God does not hear your prayer. What does that mean? Well, it means simply this. If there is sin in your life, known sin that you're holding on to, that you have not forsaken, then you can rest assured God's not listening. What? Well, again, he says that if you guard iniquity in your heart, You may be crying out in those prayers, but until you're willing to forsake that sin, God says that He does not hear those. Now, I don't want to get into a theological in-depth discussion. God can choose to listen to whatever prayer He listens to. He's God. But I'm just telling you what He's told you in His Word. And I think He's going to tell us something else here in James chapter 4. Look in this passage if you would. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? By the way, I'm reading from the ESV. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have... Because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive. Because you ask wrongly. 
you ask amiss. You ask wrongly so to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that Scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he's made to dwell in us? but He gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will exalt you. You know, that James 4 passage is a great place for us to start this week. When I think about where we were last week, kneeled around this altar, kneeled there at your pews, Second Chronicles 7.14, If my people, called by my name, will humble themselves and pray. If they'll seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear, and I will heal their land. And we look at this James passage, and James starts off by saying, look, you know why there's fussing, you know why there's fighting, you know why there's sometimes discord? It's because you want what you want, and the others want what they want. And sometimes that's our attitude in prayer. Sometimes we go to, to go to war with God because I'm praying and I want what I want. But God has another plan, what He wants. And we don't like to think of it this way, but this is the way we often pray. And this is why we pray and miss. Because we're praying because we want to consume this on our own lustful desires. This is something that I want. And I haven't really stopped to ask, is this really what God wants for my life? All I know is, God, I want this. I want this job. Lord, I I, I want this relationship to work. Lord, I want the... I I don't know what your want is, but my question is, what is your need? And so sometimes when we pray, we pray amiss. And sometimes we have this warring going on because I want what I want, you want what you want, we're not willing to give. And so we look at this James 4 passage first because I believe if we're going to learn to pray without ceasing, we need to make sure that it's not my will being done, but God's will being done. I need to get in line with God's will so that I'll know how to pray. James says that, um, that we desire and we don't have, so we murder, we covet, and we, and we do not receive, we ask wrongly because of our own passions. But I don't want you to miss this. He also says that, therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. What is your heart after? Really, what is your heart after? 
Is it after the things of God? Or is it after the things of the world? James says, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. We don't want to think about that, do we? An enemy of God? I didn't say that. That's what the Word of God says. And he he says, or do you suppose it is no purpose that the Scripture says? I mean, he's saying, hello, Uh, uh, the Scripture makes it pretty clear. He yearns jealously over the Spirit that he's made to dwell in us. Believer, you're not your own. You've been bought with a price. You belong to the Lord. God opposes the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. Church, if we're going to learn to pray without ceasing, we've got to be willing to let go of the reins of our life. We've got to be willing to yield to not necessarily what I want, but what does God want? What does God say I need? And you know, it's really not as difficult as we make it out to be. God's will spelled out in Scripture. The problem is we don't take the time to search God's will for our life through the Word of God. And we oftentimes war against God because we want to live life the way we want to live it. We want to be on the throne of our life. We don't want God telling us what to do. James warns against this. But he also gives the remedy. He said God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And he gives us how we can do this. Notice, and by the way, you can number these. These are great steps of instruction. Number one, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. I mean, that's the first thing. That's the first step. You want your prayer life to be heard? You want to start getting in tune with God? You want to get on the right frequency? Submit yourselves to God. We talked about in our Sunday school class this morning. We talked about being obedient. Obedience brings blessing. Obedience always brings blessing. Disobedience always brings consequences, punishment. It's really that simple. Submit yourselves to God. That's the first thing we need to do. Notice what else? Second, he says, resist the devil. This world is pulling on a lot of us. In fact, I'd say the world's pulling on all of us. Right? I mean, every one of us has different struggles, different areas, different temptations that Satan throws at you. He may not throw at me, or he throws at me that he may not throw at you. But the bottom line is we're all drawn away, James goes on and tells us, that We're all drawn away when we're enticed with that which is already within our wicked heart. You've heard me use the analogy. Some of you like chocolate ice cream. Some of you like strawberry ice cream. Some of you like vanilla ice cream. And some of you just don't care for ice cream. Now, my father-in-law is not one of those. He loves ice cream. Amen? Every time they come to my house, I can guarantee you my fridge is going to be stocked full of some ice cream. (laughs) means I've got to run extra hard this week. Anyways... But 
what is your temptation? I don't know. Sometimes if someone were to offer the vanilla ice cream, that gets you. But if you're a chocolate man, vanilla does nothing for you. And that's the way sin is. Satan knows what your ice cream of choice is. And so he'll study you and he'll throw temptations at you. And some of us uh, are, are swayed by the pull of this world. We need to start by submitting to God. And we need to learn to resist the devil. Resist those temptations, those sins that so easily beset you. And, and so what happens? Well, James goes on and he says that submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Number three, draw near to God. That's the third thing you need to do. Look, once you've submitted to God, you've surrendered, Lord, this, look, I'm available. This is what we talked about in our Sunday school. I'm available. I'm willing. I'm expectant. I'm prepared. Is that our heart before a holy God? James goes on and he says, Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands. That's the next step. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. And purify your hearts, you double-minded. You know, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. You know what a double-minded man is? It's, one, it's a guy who has one foot in the church and one foot in the world. He lives one way on Sunday, and he lives another way through the week. That's a double-minded man. Do you see God's answers in how to get our life in order and where we need to be before a holy God? It's right there, and, it's, and He's laid it out. If, 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 and some of you, I realize some of you aren't a step-by-step step kind of person. I'm a little slow. I, I need steps, you know. If you don't tell me I need A, B, C, and D, then I, I'm liable to give you A to Z, uh, or probably start counting is probably what I would really do. I'll miss letters altogether. So... God lays it out for us. He makes it simple. Submit to God. Resist the devil. Draw near to God. He will draw near to you. He he lays this out. Purify your hearts. Cleanse your hands. What is James telling us? I believe he's revealing to us how we need to start. And I think this is a great place to start from last week. We've humbled ourselves before a holy God. But turn back over to Thessalonians 5. What what does James have to do with this? and, And here's the point I'm trying to make with looking at that passage first. Prayer is about a lifestyle. Prayer is about having that right relationship with God. And if you don't have that right relationship with God, that's where it starts. First John tells us that if you confess your sins, He's faithful and He's just to forgive you of your sins, and He'll cleanse you from all unrighteousness. We have got to have a right heart before a holy God. And the only way we can have that right heart is through the cross at Calvary. Beautiful song Lynn sang up here, and that's exactly... That's what it's talking about. 
I mean, you and I can be forgiven because of what's been done at Calvary. You and I can have the right relationship with our Heavenly Father because of Jesus Christ, because of the shed blood at Calvary. And so when we do mess up, we can confess those sins and know that God is listening. That's the prayer He wants to hear. God, my life's not where it needs to be. It's in a mess. Lord, I've sinned. Forgive me. I know this is wrong before your eyes. And I, I forgive me, Lord. I, and give me the strength, the grace to turn from this sin. Forsake the sin. God wants to give you that forgiveness. So we are back over here in Thess- uh, Thessalonians. And what is Paul trying to say to these Thessalonican believers? Well, think about the overall picture. Why has Paul written to these believers? Remember, he couldn't go back. He's, he's in Corinth. And uh, he, he's written this letter. He sent Timothy. Timothy's come back, give a good report. This whole letter has been about the following. Encourage the flock. That's why he's written. To encourage the flock of believers there in Thessalonica to warn against false teachers, expressing his joy in their faith, reminding them of the importance of moral purity. These are things we've already discussed in our sermons that we've looked at in this book. He's he's discussed the importance of of moral purity to them. He's condemning, remember when he talked about condemning the sluggard lifestyle? He, he, he's spoken to that. He's correcting a wrong understanding of prophetic events. Remember, we talked about the rapture. And, and so he, he's written to correct a wrong understanding of the prophetic events. He's diffusing tensions within the flock. There's a little bit of tension that might have been going on there. So he writes to diffuse that. And he's exhorting the flock in the basics of Christian living. And that's where we're at now. He's exhorting these believers in the basics of Christian living. And that's what we're trying to do here today. So we come to this passage. Pray without ceasing. Now what does this mean? My three points, and I will not get to these three points today, but I want you to go ahead and write these down. And Lord willing, we'll try and cover these in the days ahead. Point one, pray persistently. Pray persistently. Point two, pray regularly. Pray regularly. And point three, pray fervently. And this is what I hope to look at so that we gain a better understanding of what the Apostle Paul is wanting these Thessalonican believers to know. And so he starts here by saying, pray without ceasing. And and that that term is, is best defined as persistent. Be persistent in your prayers. Turn with me over to the Gospel of Luke. We're going to get a a glimpse through some some parables that Jesus told in regards to what it means to pray persistently. Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11. And you'll know the context because the, the disciples, you know, have asked, well, Jesus teaches how to pray. How do we pray? They've seen his life of prayer. They know he gets along with God and, and prays. They, they've seen him. They've heard him pray. They know. And so they want How do we pray? Now, chapter 11, verse 1 of Luke. Now it came to pass as he was praying in a certain place when he ceased that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. 
So he said to them, When you pray, say, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us day by day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, I know everyone's very familiar with that prayer. A lot of times that prayer is recited in churches, and I'm afraid that sometimes it's almost become a chant, a mantra, and people lose sight of what Jesus is trying to teach them in this model prayer. But you notice he starts off with kind of what James told us about submitting to God. Hallowed be your name. But I don't want to spend our time focusing on the Lord's Prayer, or probably better phrase the disciples' prayer, because the Lord had no sin. He was teaching the disciples how to pray. But I want you to turn your attention to this next passage in 5, 11.5, known as the parable of the persistent friend. And he said to them, Now again, think on the context. He's teaching them how to pray. We're still in context. When you study your Bible, context, context, context. It makes everything. He says to them, Which of you shall have a friend? And go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has come to me on his journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within and say, Do not trouble me. The door is now shut. My children are are, are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give to you. I say to you, though he will not rise and give to him because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. So, I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, Will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Now, this passage of Scripture that we're going to look at, and we're going to look at another one in a little bit, And these, of all the parables Jesus tells, these are two that he uses the contrasting method. There's a contrast here. And the contrast is between man who's evil, and and by the way, for anybody here that that thought they were good, I'm sorry to burst your bubble, there's none good. No, not one, except for God. Right? You see, man, we're depraved, we're fallen. We're dead in our trespasses and sins. There's none righteous. All right? So, 
What's the comparison? Well, the comparison is an earthly father and a heavenly father. The, the comparison is, an, is a friend. And you, yet you look at this friend who will not open his door even to his friend. He's asleep. We're crying out loud, man, leave me alone. I'm in bed. Back in those days, it's kind of like the Varner house. All the kids end up in one bed. Some of you felt that pain before. Okay. And believe me, it's pain in the middle of the night when one of them gives you a good kick in the ribs, too. And that's usually my wife. I'm just kidding. It's not. <laughs> so, what's the, what's the point here? Well, he's trying to set up a comparison. And he says, look, if, if, this, if this friend won't open because of it's his friend, but yet because of the persistency, he does rise. All right, fine, for crying out loud, just stop beating on the door, man. Here, take your bread. What else do you need? Do you need some? Here, take some oil. I don't know. Get out of here. You know, man may do that. Hey, Dad, can I have some bread? Yeah, sure. Here's a rock. Chew on that for a bit. No, that's not what we do. Which is very interesting that uh, you think of Satan in in the wilderness when he tempted Jesus. Turn this stone into bread you see in those days the stones actually a lot of the stones there in that palestine area resembled bread and so well would a father give his son a stone of course not would he if he asked for a fish would he give him a serpent no so, so what's Jesus' point in this parable? Well, again, He says, If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask of Him? God is a good God. Now, we find in, in, in this passage, there are two basic types of imperatives. One is called an heiress imperative. An aorist imperative is used to describe an action that takes place once and for all. For, for instance, suppose uh, you're in a car and giving directions to the driver at a particular intersection. You say to the driver, stop at that light. Stop is an imperative. But in that context, it is an aorist imperative, a once-for-all action. But if you were to say to the driver, don't forget to stop at every light, that's a present imperative with continuous action. Don't just stop at that light, stop at every red light. Yeah, don't stop at a green light. Anyway, there's another. Do you know, all right, so, so think about this. Do you know what kind of imperative Jesus uses in this passage? All three of his commands, ask, seek, knock, are present imperatives. So what does that mean? Well, they could be translated this way. Keep on asking. Keep on seeking. Keep on knocking. We need to be persistent, saints. God wants us, He expects us to keep on keeping on when it comes to prayer. Just keep at it. Keep bringing your prayers to God. If you think your request is legitimate, 
Keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. God wants to teach us through persistence, praying, to wait on Him and to watch. While we're praying and waiting for God to answer our prayers, do you know what He's doing? He's working on us. He's working on us conforming us more and more to the image of Christ. And when we're ready, the answer will surely come. Now, sometimes God says no. Sometimes God says yes. God answers prayer. And and sometimes I wonder if perhaps we stop asking. We stop knocking. We stop seeking. We stop knocking. And I wonder if sometimes we... Ask amiss. Luke 18 gives us another contrasting example. Look over real quick in Luke 18. Verse 1 says, Then he spoke a parable to them, that men always ought to pray and not lose heart. Do you see that? Luke 18, verse 1. Then he spoke a parable. He says, look, Men always ought to pray and not lose heart, saying, There was in a certain city a judge who did not fear God, nor regard man. Now, (laughs) he sounds like some of our judges today. Um, Anyways, now there was a widow in that city, and she came to him saying, Get justice for me, for my adversary. And he would not. He would not for a while, but afterward he said within himself, Self. Though I do not fear God, nor regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she wearies me. You hear what this judge is saying? Man, for crying out loud, lady, stop it. You're bothering me. She's wearing me out. But because of that, he avenges her. Then the Lord said, hear what the unjust judge said. And shall God not avenge His own elect who cry out day and night to Him, though He bears long with them? I tell you that He will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will He really find faith on the earth? And and the point there is, in comparison, when the Lord does return, the amount of true believers will be rare. I mean, wasn't that the case, though, in the first time he judged the earth? Eight? Eight faithfuls? How many will be found upon his, his next return? So, here's the point. Again, he's giving you a contrast. Here's a wicked judge. Here's a good judge. If the wicked judge responds to the persistent, how much more will a good judge, a loving judge, who knows what you need. How are you doing, saint? How's your prayer life? Are you on the wrong frequency? Is there sin in your life that needs to be confessed? Maybe it's time to get in tune with God. You know, it starts by submitting. Stop warring. Stop fighting. Stop desiring what you want. And start finding out what God wants for you. What do I need? 
I need to submit to God. I need to resist the devil. I need to draw near to God. God will draw near to me. I need to cleanse my hands. I need to purify my heart. You see, when my life begins to get in line with God's will, He will answer those prayers. Because now our prayer life, and we'll look at this in the, in the next few points, but we'll begin to see what John five fourteen and 15 teaches us. And this is the confidence that we have toward Him. That if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we've asked of Him. Power of prayer. I got up early one morning and rushed into the day. I had so much to accomplish that I didn't have time to pray. Problems just tumbled about me and heavier came each task. Why doesn't God help me? I wondered. He answered, you didn't ask. I wanted to see joy and beauty, but the day toiled on gray and bleak. I wondered why God didn't show me. He said, but you didn't seek. I tried to come into God's presence. I used all my keys at the lock. God gently and lovingly chided. My child, you didn't knock. I woke up early this morning and paused before entering the day. I had so much to accomplish that I had to take time to pray. Let's pray. Father, thank you for prayer. And Lord, forgive us. For we are people called by your name. And Lord, we haven't humbled ourselves as we should. Lord, thank you for the message last week. Thank you for what you're beginning to do in us. And Lord, I know that you will complete this work that you've begun. Lord, I pray here at Community Baptist Church that you would begin that even now that you help us to humble ourselves in your presence, to see our need, not our wants. And Lord, you've said if your people called by your name humble themselves and pray. Lord, this is our confession. We don't pray. We don't pray as we should. We don't pray persistently. We don't pray frequently. And we don't pray fervently. Lord, will you change that? Not necessarily through a trial or tribulation or a hardship that would enter into our life because we know those are the things that push us to our knees. But, and yet, Lord, even as I offer that prayer, I know that's selfish in itself. Lord, whatever it takes, forgive us. Let us pray. Your will be done. Your will be done. Make this church a church of prayer. Make us a people of prayer. And Lord, may we continue to ask. May we continue to seek. And may we continue to knock. Because we have confidence to know that if we ask anything according to your will, you hear. 
So Lord, we thank you this day for salvation in Christ. We thank you for the privilege to be together, to worship you. May you go with us now. Help us to apply this message throughout this day and throughout each day that you give us. Because, Lord, we need you to work in us and through us to make us the people you've called us to be. And we'll give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Appreciate your time this morning. I also would ask again that you... uh, Check out our care groups. If you're new to the church and you want to see what a care group's all about, uh, you're welcome to attend any of them. You can come to the one at uh, the Parsonage, which is straight next door. Uh, you can also go to the uh, Colonel Sanders right next door over here across the street. Also the Turners, this lady waving her hand, and that gentleman as well. And uh, anyways, if you're interested, we'd love to have you. If you're not in a care group, you're missing out. You truly are. Appreciate your time, and uh, yes, I heard a voice and announcement. What what is that? Homemade pie. pie. Okay, my group, we may be (laughs) going... Appreciate that, Ms. Liz. I'm going to ask Brother Colonel Sanders, Mr. Lynn Sanders, if he would dismiss us in prayer.